We really like working with clients who want to meet their purpose, grow their purpose in anything where marketing can add to people's quality of life or, as we say, marketing for good. Welcome to Marketing for Good. In this episode, we chat with Liz Deuce, Insights and Research Lead at Vision Australia, the leading national provider of blindness and low vision services in Australia. With almost 20 years of experience, they help visually impaired people conquer everyday to lifelong goals through their services, which include connections with specialized healthcare professionals, business and corporate consulting, seeing eye dogs, and more. A few members of the Vision Australia team attended our webinar for the Uluru Statement from the Heart, and afterwards, they let us know how much they enjoyed it. It was only natural that we asked them to be up next on the Marketing for Good podcast. We hope you learned something new about accessibility and inclusion and spread the word on some of the great work that Vision Australia is doing today. Well, welcome. Welcome to our Marketing for Good podcast. Today, we're interviewing Liz from Vision Australia. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet across country. Um, we're on Gadigal land and uh, extend my respects to elders past, present and emerging. So Liz, welcome. It's great to have you on the podcast. And we, the first thing that we'd like to ask you about is a little bit about Vision Australia and your role there. Sure. Thanks for having me, Carolyn. It's really lovely to be here. Um, And I'll just acknowledge and pay my respects to the traditional owners where I am, the Wurundjeri people. My role at Vision Australia as Client Insights and Research Lead is largely focused on ensuring that the client voice is amplified throughout the organisation and um, through various uh, modes of client engagement. Um, we work to understand what clients are needing, what their experiences are, what their priorities are, and we feed that into strategic projects, um, service design projects, and things like that. So, yeah. Very important. And um, more broadly, um, Vision Australia um is a national organisation that um, provides services for people who are blind or have low vision. Um, I think generally people probably associate us with things like learning how to use a white cane or um, using a seeing eye dog, but we actually have a very broad range of services that we provide people, Um, everything from occupational therapy for independent living in the home, um, speech therapy for um, uh, in our, as part of our paediatric um, interventions, um, all the way through to our Vision Australia Library, which has you know, a huge plethora of audio books. Um, yeah, so we and we service a really broad range of Australians. So through the entire life cycle. Um, and um, in a, a large range of areas, so metro, regional, and now also remote, very remote for the communities too. I suppose um, the shift to more people, more people being more comfortable with video calls like um, Zoom and so on, I presume that's helped your ability to service and pro- provide services for people in more remote areas. Absolutely. I think um, one of the benefits of COVID um, was was that sort of increasing um, comfort and familiarity with um, the the 
you know, telehealth kind of mode. Um, and we definitely have increased our, um, our, the number of services that we can provide via telehealth and the uptake has been really positive. Um, and it's a really useful tool for particular types of appointments and interactions with clients. So, yeah, definitely seen a big change in that area. Mm. Mm. I was going to ask you, what would people, what would be the number one service that product that people think about you for? Um, oh, good question. Um, I think um, probably our CNI dogs are at forefront of people's minds. I think, you know, it's easy to kind of capture an audience when you've got a gorgeous little puppy um, or, you know, a handsome Labrador. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a little bit harder to kind of tap into um, the minds of other people, but, you know, with our other types of services, which are sometimes more difficult to sort of quickly describe. Um, and, yeah, um, but I think that's probably it resonates the most, those puppies. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and Vision Australia has been around for a long time. Um, I don't know exactly how long. You might be able to tell me. I'm not sure. But what are the most important current trends and changes that are really impacting the organisation? Yeah. So Vision Australia has, yeah, a very long history, you know, over 100 years even, and it has, is the product of many mergers and changes over time. Um, and I think in the last decade, the biggest change for us has been the shift to a more ind individualised funding model via the NDIS um, and also the shift towards the My Aged Care funding structure. So um, those have had the greatest impact on our organisation um, and really pushed us into a space where we had to become much more um, uh, commercially focused. I think traditionally, sort of, this is probably true with other not-for-profits and charities. Like, um, there's there's been block government funding that was really predictable, and you know, you could kind of count on it. And there was there was a lot more. I think that the, the charities of old sort of just gave everything and and whatever they could without kind of having to think too much about the commercial impacts. Um, and NDIS has completely shifted that landscape for, um, I think, many, many not-for-profits in, in Australia. So That's um, really interesting mm, to hear. Mm. How far along the journey do you feel you are? Do you feel like you're sort of well on I, the way or is it still I think we're, challenging? I think that we've definitely established, um, we're at a point where our systems and processes are at a point where we can kind of have a lot of faith in them and that we we understand the system inside and out and we can have confidence in how we're interacting with it. But I think there's constant sort of changes occurring with the NDIS and what they will and won't fund. Um, and there's also, uh, you know, there's a real piece of work that we are responsible for, which is um, making sure that clients' needs are sort of accurately represented at that government sort of ministerial level and heard so that that feeds into the NDIS system itself and what does get covered. Um, so we kind of have two, yeah, we've got two sort of responsibilities there. It's not just that service provision within the framework of NDIS, but also pushing forward 
um, the advocacy uh, agenda for the community. Yeah. Mm. So. That's mm. really interesting. There's a couple of things that you've mentioned that we might come back to in a minute when, you know, talking about the commerciality sure. of the organisation and having to change. But I suppose just before we move on to that, how's the demographic changed and the, and the sort of profile of the people that you work with? Um, I presume with an ageing population that has had an impact? Yeah, so um, I think... You're absolutely right. With the an aging population, we know that vision loss um, generally follows a tra- trajectory of you know as you get older, um, there is more prevalence in the older age groups. Um, but it has meant that you know more than seventy percent of our clientele are now aged over sixty five. So it's a huge focus for us. Um, and yeah, it's. It's also been about, I think, Vision Australia has also recognised that in other demographics we are underserving the population and need to kind of adapt and, and in particular Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients um, are an area that we feel is a real gap for us to close and to address. Um, so we're working really hard at that one at the moment and we've got our reconciliation action plan. We're about to move into a innovate wrap now, which it sort of puts a lot of um, puts a lot of onus on us to make sure our service delivery model is culturally appropriate. And um, so those are two key demographic areas that we, the older adults and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, that we're really focusing on. Yeah. Can I digress for a minute? Because I know you just recently went and did a visit to Alice Springs. Yeah, yeah. Was that in part related to the growing focus um, yeah. trying to orient services around Aboriginal Absolutely. Islander needs? Yeah, um, that, that trip was a couple of weeks ago. We went up and spent a week um, in Alice Springs and um, we have an occupational therapist who is integrated with the Aboriginally controlled community health organisation there. Um, She's been there for a couple of years now. It's sort of been a pilot site for us to begin to understand how to deliver service in remote communities um, and to build that capability in the organisation around culturally safe and responsive services. Um, So that, but that trip was also, it was really focused around working with local people, local elders, um, and having conversations about what people know about vision loss, um, how people feel about it, and, you know, what sort of messages resonate with local people the most. Um, And getting their direct input was um, absolutely the best way to do it. So we feel a lot more advanced in that journey now, having had that that opportunity, yeah. Would have been amazing. It was fantastic. Beautiful place. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you a couple of questions about your purpose. Um, perhaps it's self-explanatory, but what's the purpose of Vision Australia? Um, our purpose and our mission is to support people with blindness or low vision to live the life they choose. Um, and... We, it, it is absolutely core and sits across the entire organisation and is sort of embedded in a way that I probably haven't seen in another organisation. Um, and I think there's a number of reasons for that, um, but it is a lot of it is to do with 
the we make a real effort to keep the client voice um, present in the organization. Um, we have a client reference group who are at the same level as sort of subcommittees of the board. So they are in a sort of a respected position and they're consulted regularly around projects, issues, you know, where we're always trying to tap into clients to understand what's going on with them and also have them tell their stories on um, instead of us sort of speaking for them. We're really all about them driving and representing themselves as well. So um, there's a number of ways I think, yeah, that we really that mission feeds through everyone's day-to-day lives in the business. Mm. It's always so interesting to hear how purpose plays out in organisations because it is different. It really varies. One of the other things VA does really well when you enter the organisation, we go through a really solid induction phase where we learn a huge amount about blindness and low vision, what it's like to work with someone, um, the types of supports that they access and the simple adjustments that get made in the workplace to make it accessible. And we, we kind of, we get skilled up in understanding our clients in some depth. Um, And that's, that sort of re it reiterates that focus again and that mission for us, I think. Yeah. Mm. Well, strong induction. Yeah. It it sends a message, doesn't it, of what's important in the organisation. Yeah. What, what are the, yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. So um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about how you're, you've really had to become a more commercial organisation and part of that was around the funding model, moving from block funding to NDIS. And um, I think you also mentioned the importance of your systems and processes. But how easy is it to be successful commercially and to also be true to a strong purpose? I'm not... I. I'm not sure I'd say it's easy. <laughs> How easy? I think um, I think it's a really challenging sort of thing at the moment. I think a lot of businesses are up against that. Um, it, the ways that we, well, the ways that I see the organisation successfully doing that include um, there's this real transparency around our commercial position. So there isn't sort of this this hidden, um, you know, unknown sort of aspect. It's regularly, quarterly updated on our commercial position by the CEO and the CFO. Um, you know, they're sharing with us where we're at. And I think that creates a sense of shared responsibility. Um, I, I think it's I think it is forever going to be a challenge of charities to remain <laughs> commercially safe and also uh, mission like focused and but I think if you can get your staff to understand that um, if we're successful commercially then we're going to be here for the long haul um, and that those two things go hand in hand um, then it makes it a a little bit easier to achieve that goal. Um, One of the really cool internal campaigns we did a couple of years back was the head and heart campaign just for internal staff to sort of just uh, realign people's focus because we you know people were adjusting to this new culture of financial focus they'd been working in this charity sort of space where you would just say yes to everything for clients 
And it's not that we don't want to say yes to things. It's just that we want to do it in a way that um, we're supporting ourselves to be financially sustainable. And so that head and heart, the head being the finance and the heart being the mission was a really great way to sort of get people to shift those perspectives. Yeah. I thought that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you've got any tips for other not-for-profits. I think that's, you know, that in itself is a great tip, that idea of engaging the heart and the head. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't want to, I mean, there's it doesn't work. Well, the, the two things go hand in hand. You exist for both those reasons. Like it has to, you have to. Mm. So. Definitely. Yeah. And um, purpose and values are different. Um, what would you say is the role of your corporate values? I think our corporate values, um, they were designed and implemented around the time that NDIS was entering. Um, and they... Uh, so they sh- they were really useful, I think, in helping people to understand the skills and the attitudes that we would need to, to thrive in this new sort of funding environment. So um, commercially focused is one of them, but so is person-centeredness. Um, and that person-centered care is at the core of all of our service delivery, um, and then, you know, uh, another value is agile and accountable is the, the other va- value. So it sort of also gives you this, like, we're all in this together. We've we've all got to be responsive to this moving, changing beast of a landscape. And um, but if we're all sort of um, and so the fifth value is uh, uh, collaboration. So if we're doing it all together, we can probably achieve um, our person-centred sort of goals and also our commercial sort of sustainability. So I think, um, and those values are, again, inducted um, heavily and sort of reiterated through um, various sort of internal comms and always referred back to by leadership as well. And I think that helps to maintain them, you know, at the front of mind for our staff and, yeah. Mm, They're not just on the wall. No, they're not just posters. They're everywhere and they're talked about. And and you know what I love about these things? It's like people make jokes even. They're sort of like, well, we've just got to be agile with this. (laughs) But actually, you know, it's in people's heads. They're not forgetting it. They're thinking about it all the time. It's, yeah, that's great. (laughs) <laughs> maybe that's a benchmark of success once people can know the values so well they can joke about them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we know that Vision Australia has a really strong commitment to being an inclusive workplace, um, but that can be easy to say and sometimes harder to implement in practice. So tell us a little bit about diversity and inclusion within your workplace. Um. I, I hear you because it is so true, <laughs> like, when uh, you say it's easy to say but hard to do. Um, I'm, we, we have a, um, a KPI, organisational KPI, to have at least 15% of our workforce um, coming from blind or low vision community. Um, and this target is really useful. It's great. And, um, but it's not, not as simple as just having that. Um, there's also a variety of kind of processes that we use throughout recruitment um, that uh, helps to, I guess, um, 
prioritize blindness and low vision, uh, sorry, blind and low vision candidates. Um, And then I think it's also about the next step, which is making your employment, uh, uh, your employment environment an accessible and inclusive place. So that kind of goes back to making sure staff have an understanding of the adjustments and requirements of someone with blindness or low vision, Um, you know, training people to announce themselves when they walk in the room and simple things like pushing your chair in after you've used it so that someone's not going to trip over it. And, you know, this is creating a safe and accessible environment. Um, And I think... um, that's something, it's it's those really practical things that actually um, enable that inclusion. And um, I think that's super important for organisations to understand. I think it's information that's not always readily available or easy to find for other mm. employers. I think it's a real challenge that even our organisation faces in achieving our employment sort of goals for clients. Um, building that knowledge in the broader community is um, that's a big task uh, for and that's probably a pan disability sort of thing as well like it's not just for blindness and low vision Um, yeah so building that understanding of those adjustments and but also like having an understanding or, or, or having having a shift in people's thinking about what's possible um requires a level of education around what those adjustments look like um, so people can understand it, yeah. It sounds like also, um, well, it sounds like there's a whole recipe yes, um, yes. for success, but it sounds like there's a planning piece as well and a thinking ahead piece. Definitely. And I, I think there's that, um, there's the, the when when you start to have those targets, you can see that there's a willingness um, and there's that leadership commitment. Um, and then you see sort of these other levels of um, in- inclusive employment happening, um, which are, yeah, sort of, you know, educating yourself, educating other employees and building the, the culture. Um, and then the physical, practical adjustments and then I think another huge thing is accessibility in terms of digital systems and tools is another really big thing um, that I think a lot of employers might be a little bit um, unsure about, but there's, there is support out there that can, can kind of take you on that journey. Yeah. That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, and it's a big thing to take on, to commit, to take on and commit to having a more diverse and inclusive workplace. Um, and when you make a big change like that, you're not going to get everything right um, all the time. So how do you, how's Vision Australia gone about um, staying on the track, um, even though I'm sure from time to time things haven't, you know, as you've tried to build a more inclusive workplace, maybe not every time has worked perfectly what what's the secret to keeping on going I think I think you kind of touched on it already you've got to be willing to make mistakes and then willing to learn from them 
um, and then um, iterate your approach um, because, you know, we are only humans and so we will mess up or things might not, you know, one approach might work with a certain part of the organisation but you might need a different approach for a different set of kind of different cohorts. So I think you have to just be willing to go through that process and be okay with that happening uh, a few times. Um, I don't think there's ever a perfect state um, because, you know, um, you get new employees, you get, uh, you know, things are always shifting and changing. But I think if you're um, particularly your leadership uh, sort of committed to that, then that feeds down into your policy and, and that sort of at least drives some of the changing behaviours that might be needed or, yeah, I, I just think that a willingness to iterate and try again is really important. That's so interesting because I think that's a skill probably more and more that's going to be something that successful organisations are better able to take a risk, make a mistake, learn mm -hmm. um, and be prepared to, to adapt and change. Um, and that's certainly not easy in my experience. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think it's about just um, learning to be uncomfortable. <laughs> um learning to to feel out of your depth and that you recognizing that that's actually that's an indicator that you're changing um and growing and i think if um people can kind of take take that sort of perspective um it might be a little bit less scary or something but that sort of discomfort you know it does resolve eventually it's just initially it's sort of like holy well, i'm just not used to this um yeah what if i make a mistake yeah. I actually love that, um, <laughs> the idea of learning to feel out of your depth as yeah. sort of almost a measure. If everyone's yeah. feeling comfortable, maybe we're not doing enough. That's absolutely, yeah, I think you're right. And, I, you know, I think um, there's sort of probably there's a bit of a lesson in there, I guess. Like it's, yeah, I won't go too far into my own personal experience. Sorry. <laughs> But um, I, I really, you know, I think that's something that our organisation is trying to get people to be okay with is, is just being uncomfortable is okay, having difficult conversations, it's all right. Like <laughs> um, it actually, yeah, it is an indicator of success that we are growing. So. Mm, mm. And have you got any tips for organisations that might be, you know, in a similar situation but earlier in the journey or? You know, perhaps wanting to make a, a change and become more diverse or inclusive? I think it depends on the organisation, but I do think at, at that executive level, everyone needs to be on board and it needs to be kind of agreed and embedded into something almost like a mission document. That's actually can be a big step and a hard step for some organisations because those parts of the organisation are made up of people and um, yeah, you you really need some uh, strong leadership to get the ball rolling. I think. Yeah, that's an interesting insight, which I think is probably yeah. right. It's hard; otherwise, it's very hard to sort of work against. Yeah, it's a tough one to manage up on. But I think if organisations are interested in 
building that capacity and um, starting that journey, there's a lot out there that you can access to support you. Um, yeah. Um, what are some places to go and find? Well, yeah, resource? I mean, for me, like if if I, it generally there's just all these amazing advocacy organisations and agencies that will get you started on on how to start the conversation with people in the organisation. So if you're, you know, there's if, if you're an executive and you're looking to sort of start to get those conversations happening, talking with people from those those um, organisations can be really powerful because they a lot of the time have lived experience themselves and like to hear employers saying, we think we're ready to do this. So where can we go and what can we do? So for Vision Australia, we have like, we have plenty of people that could advise uh, an employer on how to become more disability confident or, um, you know, what sort of existing government grants there are to support um, uh, acquisition of the proper technology so that someone can do their job or um, services of, uh, around sort of creating or checking the digital accessibility of your platforms and your website and that sort of thing. There are, it's, it's really, I would, I would be talking to those big organisations that have the lived experience and the knowledge within them. That's a great tip. Thank you. Yeah, some of those big organisations have done a lot of work. Yeah. And, yeah, as you say, also there's a lot of support, different um, advocacy organisations where people can get support as well. Mm. Um, one more sort of question to ask you, um, which is a little bit slightly different to the diversity and inclusion, but we wondered how important sustainability and ESG are within Vision Australia and if you've got any examples of initiatives that you might have. Yeah, um, ESG is becoming more and more important for us. Um, we've, like I said before, we've been using telehealth. We think that's a great opportunity to sort of reduce emissions and that type of thing um, and cutting back on travel. We've also um, transitioned almost all of our fleet cars to um, hybrid vehicles, which we hope will have somewhat of an impact. Um and again, obviously, that um, focus that we have around um, Indigenous service delivery sort of weaves into that as well. Um, and our commitment to our new Innovate Wrap is is probably another example of those, yeah, ESG goals that we have um, in mind. Yeah, it's so exciting! It sounds like there's so much going on at Vision Australia, and it sounds like it's such a terrific place to work. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot going on. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, we have we have a lot of um, we have a lot of strategic projects that we're pushing through, um, just to drive more impact and improve our services. So it's a it's actually a really exciting time to be a part of the organisation. Um, yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you think we should cover? We haven't talked about that you were thinking when you were preparing. Oh, one of the things that we've done, yeah, just around the older older adults that we're servicing, I just wanted to share this really cool program that we've we've recently piloted and just started rolling out. Um, so as I was saying, like digital 
our world is super digital now and that's fantastic. But for older Australians that experience later life vision loss, um, what we've discovered through our research is if they have come to vision loss without very good technology skills, their adjustment to vision loss is slowed. Whereas if they do have good tech skills, they tend to, or, or good digital literacy, that adaptation to vision loss is a lot quicker. Um, and that's been a really important finding for us. And, you know, working out ways to build digital literacy for older Australians is really important. Um, but one of the programs we've recently developed is um, in partnership with Amazon and um, they've got the Amazon Alexa and the Amazon Echo, similar to the Google Home and all those sort of voice-activated devices. Um, so we we issue clients, um, older clients, with a, a device, and then they undergo six weeks of training to learn how to access information um, and do a variety of things at home, um, listening to music, whatever it is. Um, and we've had such an amazing response to that. Um, so that's a really exciting area of um, uh, digital technology and assistive technology, really. It's uh, voice activation is going to be a big part of um, our, our sort of how we support people with technology in the future, I think. So that's really cool. <laughs> I love that example. Yeah. Um, because it's, I, I love it's really based on a one of those insights. Yeah. Um, we we love research of yeah. insights, <laughs> um, and then it rolls out to something so practical that can be so valuable for so many people. Definitely. Yeah, and it's you know a lot of what we do is just about um, finding ways to adapt. Um, so that that client can kind of easily access the world again because um, it's a difficult journey um, and and reconnecting with people, for example, via these sorts of technologies is is really beneficial for some people. They really respond to it. And, um, yeah. yeah. What a wonderfully positive example. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. And a great way to wrap up this um, really yeah. interesting and engaging <laughs> podcast. So, Liz, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, I you. think sorry if I I rambled on a bit. I, <laughs> no, I think um, I certainly found it thoroughly enjoyable and really appreciate your time. So, thank you very much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for having me. It was lovely to chat. Thank you for listening to this episode of Marketing for Good. If you're interested to learn more about Corbin and Blair and the impactful work they're doing, check out our links in the description. If you're curious about how Juntos can help you balance your purpose with commerciality, drop us a line. We would be more than happy to help you live true to your purpose while, as always, marketing for good. We really like working with clients who want to meet their purpose, grow their purpose in anything where marketing can add to people's quality of life or, as we say, marketing for good.